Hello and welcome to another episode of the Baycare Clinic Podcast. My name is Jeff Ash and I'm your host for this episode. I'm here with Dr. Steve Zent. He's an oral surgeon with Oral and Maxillofacial Surgeons Baycare Clinic. Dr. Zent holds dental and medical degrees. He sees patients by referral in Green Bay and in Manitowoc and Sturgeon Bay. And today we're going to talk about the importance of getting the HPV vaccine, particularly as it pertains to oral health. So Dr. Zent, uh, we appreciate your taking the time to talk with us today. As we get started, can you explain your role as an oral surgeon? Uh, what do you do on that? Well, first of all, thanks for the opportunity. There's not a lot of interest sometimes that people think about dental health and oral health. It's something that kind of gets kicked to the side. And so it is important uh, because we can be beneficial not only to the oral cavity itself, but general health. Um, as an oral surgeon, uh, it's one of the things that got me into this is we have such a varied uh, ability to address different things uh, for the patients. Anything from cleft palate kids to trauma to pathology such as HPV, uh, dental implants, bone grafts, infections. Um, on any one day, it's completely different than another day. So it's actually exciting every time you're going in, even though you've done many procedures many, many, many times. On any one day, the schedule, everything looks very different than the others. So, you know, we go to the hospital, we do a lot of uh, office-based procedures. Uh, so it's it's been good, and I know today you, know, you want to talk more specifically about HPV, and that ties us into the if you want to think about it the medical realm or the general health realm. Well, let's start with that. HPV is short for human papilloma virus. What is that? Human papilloma virus. It's interesting that you know you come to an oral surgeon to talk about it, and it's kind of one of those things I've been talking about for years. And sometimes patients will look at me like, "Oh, wait a second, you know, why am I at the oral surgeon talking about this?" And the reason is, uh, human papilloma virus is a group of over 150 viruses, kind of in a family, if you want to call it that, that can infect uh, the human body in many locations. It's got, uh, or it has a lot of interest and a lot of uh, exposure to the general public because of its connection to cervical cancer and some of the other areas of the body. And then uh, as we go along, we get more research and we found out, guess what? You know, this is also infecting the oropharynx and the posterior part of the oral cavity. Um, and so it, it is important uh, on that regards as well. And just to get patients sometimes to stop and think about things other than just teeth and, and those things, um, it, it's rewarding. And uh, the research and the evidence is getting more and more powerful all the time. Is uh, HPV a common thing? Uh, actually quite uh, interesting. HPV is so common, it's considered to be a ubiquitous virus. And that basically means it's everywhere. Um, over 80% of the general population will have an infection with HPV at some point in their lifetime. So it's kind of, I hate to say it, but it's kind of naive to think that you're not going to have it and it's, it's not going to involve you because it involves just about everybody. Um, and that's one of the things that's kind of scary about it is everybody's in contact. You can't avoid it. So I think you have to go into it with eyes open and uh, without any denial and just address it responsibly. Now, now, that being said, it being so common, it does, in some cases, or in many cases, it resolves without any, uh, doesn't affect anybody. I mean, it's there, but it doesn't affect you. Is that right? That's exactly it. You know, and that's one of the reasons why it is so uh, widespread or ubiquitous is the fact that by far the majority of patients that contract this virus will um, 
not shed it, but they will clear it from their body without any symptoms, without any signs. They have no idea they've been, number one, contacted with it, or number two, infected with it. Um, and that's one of the dangerous parts about it too, is it's, it's unknown and this can show up years and years later for the minority. You were asking why it is uh, so common and the issue is most people don't even know they have it uh, until years later or if ever. And then when HPV becomes serious, when it becomes a, a health issue, most people are familiar with it in connection with cervical cancer or genital warts or, or those types of conditions. Why are you as an oral surgeon uh, concerned with it? We are concerned about this virus uh, mainly because a lot of people again contract the virus and they don't know it until decades later. And the oral manifestation of this can be two years later, it can be 20 years later. And we're seeing a significant increase in the statistics of oral pharyngeal cancer, particularly the, the back part of the mouth and the, the throat and the tonsillar areas. Uh, that are uh, basically brought on from an infection this person had 20 years ago. Um, I've always had a concern about patients who come in and they have lesions or lumps and bumps, red spots, those things in their oral cavity, but they're not a smoker. So for many, many years, we were not able to say, well, why is this here? You know, you have somebody that comes in that's a smoker and they have a spot or a lesion and you're like, well, you have a, uh, an agent that is causing this, whereas some of these patients don't have any known reason for it. And sure enough, later on, as our research is showing, this is from the HPV virus. And so we get involved a lot of times, patients will have lesions on the posterior part or the back part of their tongue, uh, the tonsil areas and those things, and the ENT physicians get involved in all these different disciplines uh, because of the manifestation years and years later. Well, you, you mentioned uh, the statistics. And I'm just going to drop a statistic here. This is a study that was, was out in January of 2020 from the Dell Medical School at the University of Texas. Uh, it found that 73%, almost three out of four, head and neck cancers are related to HPV. It's kind of staggering when you see that. You know, you think about oral cancer, you think about throat cancer and all that, everybody automatically goes to smoking. Now, I don't want to downplay smoking, that definitely is a factor, but uh, the statistics on smoking have leveled as far as the number of new cases every year, whereas the statistics on the viral-induced cancers is, I don't want to say skyrocketing, but yes, it's increasing at a staggering amount, to the point now where the viral-induced cancers are outnumbering the smoking-induced cancers. And that alone is kind of a scary thought. You know, smoking, you have a choice. Uh, some of these things, you don't know you have the virus, so the choice really isn't there as much. What are some of the symptoms of an HPV infection? What, what should people look for? Well, you know, early on, you know, when you're younger and uh, perhaps when you start becoming sexually active, whether it's young or old or your, your first uh, contacts, Sometimes you can get a little viral uh, kind of a feeling, a flu feeling or those kind of things, fevers, uh, muscle aches, but usually it's not even any of that. There's, there's no symptoms. Usually you have nothing. And, and the symptoms are so mild that people don't even take notice. Years and years later where this becomes more of a clinical problem is people will come to the oral surgeon. Uh, a lot of times we'll get uh, referrals from the general dentist or the other physicians to look at it and they're presenting with a lump, a bump, a ulcer or a sore that's not resolving. 
um, or anything as far as difficulty swallowing, pain that's unexplained for any other reason. And in particular, I always caution patients and I, I caution other people that I do exams on, is if you have a lump, a bump, a sore, or a concern that's been there for more than two weeks, you probably need to get it evaluated. And hopefully it's something different and something easier, self-limiting uh, issue, but if it hasn't resolved in a couple of weeks, you should probably start the ball rolling and at least get it checked. And who would do an evaluation of something like that? Quite frankly, I think this is something that many, many different disciplines have a hand in it. Um, the general dentists uh, do a complete exam every time you go in. A lot of people think, well, you know, it's all about cavities, this and that. No, they do oral cancer screenings, uh, oral surgeons. That's a large part about what we do. Primary care physicians, you know, they look in your mouth when they do your yearly examinations and your physicals, uh, ENT physicians, you know, anything from uh, your uh, respiratory docs and, and all those. Just about any doctor visit can have, you know, the exam portion of it. Um, and I would say, you know, don't skip those appointments. You know, even if you don't think you're having trouble, a lot of these issues, I keep saying they're asymptomatic. You know, people don't know they're there. A lot of these sores, they don't know it until it's further down the line. So, you know, don't skip your appointments. You know, be, be responsible. And, you know, if you're having people look at it, uh, the good news with this uh, viral-induced cancer is it responds very well to treatment. Chemotherapy, all the, the, the general uh, ways of treating cancers, it responds very well. The number one thing is early uh, detection. So don't skip the appointments. Well, let's talk about the HPV vaccine and um, the importance of it, where you get it from? I can be kind of a science nerd at some points. Um, when the HPV vaccine came out, it was first cleared for young uh, females. And uh, I took my boy in, and he was pretty young at the time, and we had a philosophical conversation with the primary care physician. It wasn't covered by insurance, it wasn't in the literature, it wasn't indicated according to the, the, the prevailing thought. And uh, we went back and forth and I said, I'll pay for it, I don't care. I want my boy vaccinated because this is uh, technically a sexually transmitted disease. And, uh, and that, so he was probably one of the first ones that I know of, even when I talked to my cohorts uh, and my friends and all that. Um, at his age now, he's, probably one of the few in his age group that have had it. Um, now the evidence is clear. You know, you start at about age nine, and you know, I could split hairs with boys versus girls at what age and all those different parameters, but essentially uh, you wanna have this vaccine in their system before there's any chance of sexual contact, kissing, all kinds of stuff. Um, you know, and unfortunately, you know, some kids will kiss and it doesn't really mean a whole lot, but it's, it's important. And so, you know, you, if you do it early, honestly, with my kids, they didn't know what they were being vaccinated for. It was just another vaccination. You know, it doesn't have to be a big, you know, conversation of does it allow this prevailing thought or does it allow that kind of thought. It's a vaccination, just like, you know, measles, mumps, and those things. Um, so around age nine, start talking to the physicians, start talking to your primary care doc about the vaccinations. And trust me, they all know it. They're very good about screening for these things, but uh, that would be the responsible time to do it, and that's the best time to do it. The first vaccines came out with only a few strains. Uh, now the newest vaccine, uh, they call it the nine valent, where it has the top nine strains that cause problems, not only cervically, but orally. Um, there's penile warts, there's all kinds of things that this thing will 
will help protect against it. You're talking about young kids, eight, nine, but the range for the vaccine goes into people in their 20s, is that correct? Very good point. Um, a lot of this, they're saying, listen, the fewer sexual contacts you've had, the more benefit you're gonna get from this vaccine because you've probably be subjected to fewer strains of it. Uh, so the earlier, the better, but absolutely up to the mid upper 20s. Uh, the newer protocols and research is also showing, you know, you can make a very good argument uh, for certain patients that have not had a lot of contact up to age 35, 45, and they're even going higher. Um, the issue with the vaccine is if you've been subjected to one or two strains, the vaccine may still help you with all the other ones that you haven't been subjected to yet. And so the age is kind of a fluid thing in their research right now. Um, Mid-upper 20s, if, you know, if I had a child even under 30 that was unvaccinated, I would do it today. Um, above that, it's still probably a value. Uh, statistically and science-wise, they don't know how much value, but I'd say it's still a value. And then the vaccine itself, is it a series of shots? Is it one shot? How does that work? Part of it depends on the age of when you first get it. Uh, there's a, a two-part series, um, but if you start a little bit later, a lot of times they'll do a three-part series. And the research is still coming out on which is the best protocol to use. And that's where I steer people, you know, your primary care physician has all the standards. They know, they know they're all up on it, and this is, uh, this is not new to any of them, so they can help steer you which way to do it. The one thing I would say, though, is, again, it's, the protocol would have very specific time frames. If you have one of the vaccinations, you need another one within a certain time frame, and don't miss the appointment, because then you start over. Speaking again of research into the vaccine, something recent, again, at the beginning of 2020, the research showed that even if you got one shot, there's some value. You know, you should get the full series, but even if you only have one shot, there's some value, um, some benefit from that. Absolutely, and again, part of the reason they give more than one uh, of the injections, it's a statistical effort, I should say. Some people will seroconvert, meaning they build up immunity to the viruses in one shot but a significant portion of them won't. And so that other one will catch those, uh, those other patients. And so yes, you know, even if you got the one, it's a lot better than zero. Um, the two of them or the three of them, you're just gonna get more coverage of more of the population, more of the people. And who would you see to get the HPV vaccine? Who's the provider for that? Usually it's the primary care physicians. Uh, you're doing your yearly exams. You know, a lot of this, uh, uh, a lot of the schools will require yearly physicals for kids, particularly if they're in sports and this and that. Uh, so you're seeing your primary care doc. Uh, even when your kid has coughs, colds, you know, they're, the primary care physicians and the pediatricians and those are very good about uh, managing the immunization schedules for other diseases as well, like the measles and mumps and rubella. This is one that's getting plugged into the same type of a mindset and thought process. So by far, you know, the immunizations is the primary care of physicians. Are there any side effects to the vaccine? Minimal. You know, a lot of people will talk about vaccinations and they're pro and against. Uh, but again, statistically, you are a lot more likely to have a problem because of this disease than you are any reasonably significant reaction to the 
uh, to the vaccination. Uh, just like other vaccinations, the good part is, and it means your body's working, is you will mount a, a, an immune response to the vaccination. You may get a little muscle ache, you may get a little bit of feverish, you may feel a little bit uh, of those type of things, but that means the vaccine's working. Your body is responding to it. And so that's not necessarily a bad thing. Is it fun? No, but it sure beats taking a chance at, uh, at, at a disease that you could prevent. Um, I think it's awesome when I was randomly uh, turned on the TV, uh, which I don't do very often anymore, but they had the commercial about uh, the child saying, Mom, Dad, did you know that you could vaccinate me against a cancer? Um, I think that's a very telling commercial. I think it's awesome. But that's exactly it. You know, would I have my kid have a little sore arm or, you know, a little feverish for a day? But know that 20 years down the, down the road, he, he or she has a much reduced chance of getting oral pharyngeal cancer? Absolutely. I mean, to me, that's a no-brainer. Um, to me, it's, you know, it's just clear. And then just a follow-up question on, on those lines. There may be a parent who's resistant to having a child vaccinated. There may be an older person in their 20s who, for whatever reason, is kind of resisting or, or not really sold on the idea. Um, and again, as you say, this usually falls to the primary physician, but uh, what would you say to somebody who's in that situation there for whatever right reason, reluctant? If they're reluctant, I guess I would have to learn more about the patient and have a heart-to-heart -heart conversation with them about why they're reluctant. If it's, you know, a, a uh, religious reason, or if it's a philosophical reason, or if they're just scared of having the flu, or they don't like it, or it's unpleasant. And, you know, if I want to just lay it out there, I would tell them, listen, I know it's unpleasant, but as an adult, as somebody who's approaching adulthood, even if you're in your low 20s, this is a responsibility issue to yourself. I mean, you owe this to yourself. And oral pharyngeal cancer is horrible. Uh, how it affects people, how it affects their life, how it affects very, very many aspects of not only their life, but their family. And if you have a way to really significantly decrease your chances of that, I just think that's an opportunity people shouldn't miss. Now we've talked quite a bit about the oral health aspect of HPV, but there's also the cervical, the genital aspects. Who would treat those, um, or, or how would that treatment uh, go? Depending again on where it is, um, if it's cervical or any anything to do in that area, you know, usually your OB/GYN, uh, or if it's a male, uh, that can have uh, penile warts and there's anal warts. There's all kinds of these things, depending on where the virus gains access to the body, uh, where the infection happens. Uh, that will depend on exactly which physician would be more involved. You know, typically, if it's a male, it usually starts at the primary care doc, depending on what they're finding, and they would help steer you to appropriate docs. Um, for females, it typically would start or fall into play with the uh, OB gynecology docs and, and that. So really, what then is the bottom line on the HPV vaccine? What do you most want to convey to people who are curious about it or people who should get it? I guess the big points that pop into my head when you ask that question is, number one, it is a disease that is for a large part avoidable. Uh, number two, uh, it is a disease that has a very dramatic outcome if you are inflicted with it. Those two things, when you look at a risk-benefit ratio, are very, very tipped towards the fact of being responsible, 
get the vaccine and that, you know, when you're young, I was there, everybody's there. That won't happen to me. That's not me. I have never been sick, you know, those kind of things. Um, but it's when you're 45, 55 years old and you're popping up with these lesions and these tumors and you need all this, you know, retrospect is, or hindsight's 2020. So, you know, do it when you're young. Just, in my mind, be responsible for yourself. Uh, Dr. Zent, thank you for taking the time to talk with us today. We appreciate that. Uh, we thank everybody for listening. Uh, to learn more about Baycare Clinic, visit us online at baycare.net. And be sure to stay tuned for more Baycare Clinic podcasts.